רגע, לפני שמתחילים, אם אתם יכולים, בבקשה, דרגו אותנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם. זה מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה של הערוץ ליותר אנשים. ממש תודה רבה לכם. פתיח ומתחילים. The man in the picture with the Scottish thinker and economist Adam Smith. Adam Smith. If you ask the educated man about Adam Smith, he will probably say that he is the father of modern economics, the author of the wealth of nation, and an advocate of selfishness. As he himself writes in his book, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own interest. We address ourselves, not their humanity, but to their self-love. Wow. And, but reality, like always, is quite different. Adam Smith was not a one-sided man. Uh, in the other side, he was a moral philosopher and contributed a lot to the field. And even his own ideas regarding economics and the market might be very different than what people think were his ideas. Hi, and welcome to my channel, The World of War Yosevich, when I host and speak with the most interesting and influential people from all around the world. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing and hit the bell button. And today, I'm privileged and honored to have uh, Mr. Eamon Butler, on the show with me. Mr. Butler is a British economist and the co-founder and director of the Adam Smith Institute in London. He has written several books about Hayek, Milton Friedman, and Lud- Ludwig von Mises. So, Mr. Butler, many thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. Okay, thank you. So, you are the director of the Adam Smith Institute. Why do we even need such an institute? I thought that his ideas penetrated our culture. We all know today that free markets produce much more than centralized government, and we don't measure wealth in gold, but in GDP and so on. So, why do we even need an Adam Smith Institute? Well, I know these things, and you know these things, but uh, there's an awful lot of people in the world who don't know them, and the name of Karl Marx is, uh, is known worldwide. I think the name of Adam Smith is, is not known so well, uh, and Marx's ideas are, are uh, trumpeted by particularly uh, young people in universities, particularly in places like America, um, and, uh, and they think this is the right way to live. Um, and bitter experience tells us, of course, that that isn't the case. And, uh, and Smith put forward the idea that the, the best form of economy was one which was free, free to trade and, uh, and free in domestic uh, commerce as well. And that the more rules and regulations you, you throw on that, then uh, the less well it does. So we really do need an institute which introduces these ideas and, and injects them into public policy, um, not just in the UK, but around the world. So basically, what do you say, and let me focus on the U.S., even though Adam Smith's ideas actually built or the foundations of the, of the U.S. government and the U.S. economy and the U.S. constitution, nevertheless, U.S. students, the U.S., are much more attracted and much less familiar with Adam Smith's idea and much more familiar with Karl Marx's ideas, yes? 
Yes, I think that's true. And I, I think it's understandable to a certain extent because young people um, like radical ideas and they, they like something that's, that's new and different uh, and it's not what their parents are doing. Um, and they like, a, they like to have a system. I think the thing with um, socialism or, or, and Marxism in particular, it's a kind of system. It's a way of thinking and you can use it and you hopefully solve every problem. Well, it doesn't actually solve every problem. It, it cre creates other problems. Uh, but but I, I think that, um, you know, affluent young people just don't realize um, the, the, the market environment that they're in. They, they don't realize the importance of markets and of capitalism. Uh, and they, they think that capitalism is just, you know, greedy bankers and people like that. Um, and they don't understand how capitalism works. Uh, and and, and it, it, it's so natural to them. They're, they're in it all the time. They don't realize that if you knock that down, then, you know, life itself would become impossible. You know, you just mentioned something that is so profound because at least on paper, social, socialism and capital and Marxism strive or aim to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And at least, at least on paper, Capitalism just deals with how to increase your own capital, how to increase the growth. So we might say, listen, ca capitalism is immoral, but nevertheless, it produced the best results ever. But I think what Adam Smith tried to do is to combine those two together in, in a way that there is a moral sentiment or the moral philosophy and in one side and the economics and the economic, the market, the trade on the other side, but they're just two sides of the same coin. Is it mm. fair to say? To oh, definitely. Um, I think that uh, Adam Smith was not merely an economist, which is how we think about him today. He was really a social psychologist. His, his first book was in moral philosophy. He was looking at what it is that makes things good and, and bad morally. Um, and that's the book that actually made him famous. Uh, and then he, he worked on politics as well and uh, on the law. Um, so he was all around. He, he looked at the human mind in, in all of its manifestations. And that's what he was interested in, the, the, the psychology of all of these things. Um, and, uh, you, you know, I, I, I do disagree with people, I'm afraid, when, when they say, oh, uh, capitalism, it's all about um, your own interest and that's immoral. Um, no, capitalism is actually a hugely moral system because you don't have to force people into it. The thing with the socialist system is that somebody high up in the in the bowels of government decides man what's of going the to be system, like Adam Smith called him. Yes, the man of system uh, uh, decides what should be done, and we're all expected. Um, to take our positions on, uh, to, to use Adam Smith's uh, analogy, the chessboard, and be moved around wherever that person thinks we should be moved around. And if you don't like it, well, um, you know, you get put in jail or you don't eat. And capitalism is not the same as that. Capitalism works through voluntary exchange that, uh, as you say, with the butcher and the baker and the brewer, uh, they've got something you want, I've got something they want, which is money. So uh, we do an exchange and we're both better off. I've got the food and the butcher and the brewer and the baker have got the money. So it's entirely voluntary. Now that to me is the most moral system on the planet. And it's not a zero sum game, which is extremely important. But uh, let's start at the beginning, okay? Adam Smith is known to be part of the Scottish Enlightenment along with David Hume, 
Francis Hutchestone, James Watt, etc. Even Voltaire said that we look up to Scotland for all the, all the great ideas of civilization. So what was so special in Scotland in these days that they produced so many great thinkers that just influenced and transformed the world? Well, it's difficult to say. Uh, Scotland did have an excellent education system. They had uh, four out of uh, uh, Britain's six universities, um, and they had very good uh, schools. Um, but what happened in the early 18th century is that uh, Scotland united with England. And uh, that, I think, sort of increased the market for Scottish goods, and you had more English people going north. Um, and it brought uh, really an intellectual renaissance to, to Scotland, that um, ideas that were distant from them for a long time suddenly were flooding in. It was a very exciting time, and people uh, got together and met and, and discussed all, all these ideas. And uh, yeah, something just clicked. I mean, I mean, these things just happen occasionally. Uh, and it all clicked and you had uh, great people coming together and discussing things. And Adam Smith himself set up the Royal Society of Edinburgh, which was a sort of club where people could go and, and discuss all these ideas. Um, so it was a very fertile time. Uh, Scotland was, was getting wealthier, so people had the money to... to to sit around thinking rather than uh, um, plowing fields. Uh, and everything just came, came together at the right moment. So you said before that uh, Smith was also a moral philosopher and he started his career as a moral philosopher in, in 1759. He published his first work, The Theory of Moral Sentiment. And until his death, he's viewed this book as the most, his most important work. Now, before we dive in, to in this book, we need to know what was the moral thinking of his time. Can you elaborate what a sixth moral sense is? Do we have a sixth sense to morality? What does it mean? Well, people at the time came up with different theories. I mean, some people said, uh, well, morality, it's what God says. And then other people said, well, we don't really know what God says necessarily. So we have to follow the, the church officials. They'll, they'll tell us what's good. And people had other theories and one theory was, that we had a moral sense. It was like hearing or eyesight that you could just somehow sense what was good and, and what was bad. And that didn't really make too much sense because there's an awful lot of people um, who don't seem to have that sense and, and do things which are very bad quite consistently and don't seem to realize it. Um, so uh, what Adam Smith did, did was a completely new theory, which is that it was, a, it was an anthropological theory. Uh, and uh, what he said was, um, as human beings, we're social beings. We want to get on with each other. And when we do something that pleases other people, uh, they praise us. And then we get a bit of a glow from that. And then, and then we do a bit more of it. And when we do something that's, that they don't like, then they, uh, they complain to us. And we don't like people complaining to us. So we do less of that. So there you are. I, I mean, uh, Darwin's first book was, was published in 1859, exactly 100 years later. But Smith was already groping to this idea that we're social beings um, and uh, that we evolve as social beings and that we uh, somehow have a morality which keeps us going. If, if we didn't do these things, if we didn't respond to other people, if we didn't get on with them, we'd all be dead. We can say that morality is basically 
lining up or with, with what people consider to be nice and good or what, pe or what other people consider good. Yes, this is basically yes, I, what morality is. Absolutely. According to because, Smith. Yes, absolutely. Because as we now realize, um, that is what uh, lets us survive. If we didn't do it, we wouldn't survive. Uh, it is the fact that we have a certain structure in our society, and that's a, a fact that we um, we do collaborate with other people, and we like collaborating with other people, and we don't like to annoy other people. All of these things allow us to work together and cooperate and collaborate together, um, and that is that is actually what keeps society going. Uh, we know now from Darwin and natural selection that um, if, if that didn't happen, then our species would, would be extinct. Smith didn't know that, and he just said, well, it, you know, it's providence. It's, it's, it's uh, providence has, has made us in this way, and it's as well that, he, that providence did make us in this way, says Smith. But he doesn't really know why, because he didn't have the tools of the Darwinian science. So how does it relate to the concept of the impartial spectator? Like... Uh, when we facing a moral dilemma, we hear two voices, and uh, Smith called one of the voices, I think, the good voice, right? the impartial <laughs> spectator. He something which is outside our ourselves and can look at the situation and tell us, "Listen, you should do this. You should do that." So, it it in 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 my eyes, it is very similar to like a secular concept of God. So something outside you uh, should guide you what mm -hmm. is the right thing to do. Yes, it is conscience, really, uh, that, um, you know, what he is saying is um, if you act in a way which we would say is morally bad, people will complain about you uh, and they will uh, reprove you and so on. Um, and so if, there are no, if there's nobody around, um, you still have that feeling that, well, if there were somebody around looking at what I'm doing now, um, they would criticize me, they wouldn't be happy, they, they would be annoyed. So that makes you think, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. So it is, it, it's something sort of outside your, uh, um, your own mind, but but it's at the same time in your own mind, if you if you get my meaning, um, and it's it's how you would how you should react in any circumstances, whether there's people around to praise you or condemn you uh, or not, uh, and 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 so that allows us to to do the right thing in any situation, even when there aren't real spectators. There's this notional. Um, arbitrary uh, uh, spectator, independent spectator, um, who our, our conscience sort of appeals to, are we doing the right thing? So it is quite, it, it's, it's a hard idea to grasp because I think if you take this uh, impartial spectator or the outside spectator to the limit, if you take this idea to its limit, you get to Dostoevsky, the, the crime and the punishment. So if I know for sure that no one will know about me killing the old lady, why shouldn't I do it? So, so it's, uh, Smith is like an observer, he's a keen observer of human behavior and he's great at, at what he does. But to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, he doesn't explain 
okay, but what are the basics? Why do we even do it in the first place? Again, we know that it's like there are, there are incentives to be good, incentives to be bad, because people will, uh, will be nicer to us. And it's like a process of evolution, even 100 years before the, the term was coined. But why should I apply? Why should I subscribe to this sentiment if no one is looking? Well, this I think is something that I didn't quite understood in his work. I, th I think that Smith is saying that this is actually part of our psychology. Um, we, we are born this way. And now we know uh, through evolutionary theory, you know, why we are born that way. Um, Smith could only say, well, providence has made us that way. Um, but we're born that way. And therefore, we do follow these general principles. And it's perhaps... Um, uh, drilled into us by our parents that there are some things you should do and some things that you shouldn't do. And uh, somehow that goes into your consciousness. So it's not a case of, I'm, you know, I'm going to steal this money because nobody's around to see it. And, um, you know, I won't get punished for it. You don't steal the money because you figure this is a bad thing to do. If, and, and, and as Smith would say, if there were somebody around to see it, they would be uh, very condemnatory of, the, of that. And you don't want that, that, that that's, that's unpleasant. So it's not the, it's not the fear of um, going to jail. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fear of mm, how would my behavior, uh, how would other people react to my behavior? And I want to act in a way in which I know whether there's people there or not, I'm acting in a way that others would approve of. It is very similar to Kant's imperative uh, notion or yes. categorical imperatives that you need to do yeah. the right you need to do the right things that you would agree to say okay I want what I have done the the actions that I've done to be a universal law okay so so it's very very similar to this concept of the imperative of the categorical imperative now Professor Ryan Handley said that Adam Smith's main concern was the well-being of the poor, in your opinion, is it true? Definitely, absolutely. Um, and it's the same reason why I run the Adam Smith Institute. I, you know, I'm not interested in the welfare of the rich. Well, I am, but, <laughs> but it, you know, it's, the, it's the welfare of the poorest people. And Adam Smith uh, thinks exactly the same that, uh, that I do today, uh, which is poorer people are being, the, the working poor are being held back by rules and regulations and taxes. Um, which make life harder for them. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I want to get rid of those taxes. And it's one of those, and regulations, and it's one of the reasons why Smith wanted to do the same. He thought that um, if ordinary working people were allowed to work and, and do what they like without being bossed around by, in his case, you know, wealthy landowners and so on, in our case, by bureaucrats, uh, then they'd actually be much more productive um, and they would be able to, uh, provide for themselves and their families uh, um, much more easily and at, at a much higher level. Um, so yes, I think uh, Adam Smith and I are, are, are both on the same uh, side there. We believe in free markets because we believe these are the best way of, of helping the poor. Socialism doesn't help the poor, the free markets help the poor. So this is basically why Smith changes focus from the perfection of private nature to the improvement of public systems? 
Uh, yes, of course. Because though, be... though, those are the two sides of the same coin. I want the incentive. I, I want to be better off as a human being. And it's like there, there was a documentary about Adam Smith. What they said, you need to think of the term fair and justice together, because if something is not fair, it's not, it's injustice and something must be done. And who is responsible to repair this damage? The government, the economy, the market. So if you can please elaborate of what fair justice and, and the tra transformation from the moral sentiment to the market, the economy. Hmm. Well, that's, that's rather a big question. Um, Adam Smith was um, very strong on justice. He thought justice was extremely important. And he's not talking about the modern idea of social justice, where, where really it just means equality and redistribution. Um, he was talking about people um, uh, suffering or enjoying the uh, results of, of their actions. Um, and therefore, uh, you know, morally, uh, that's uh, that, that's exactly what you want. You want you want people who act responsibly um, because they suffer the, suffer the consequences. Um, and if it's a, a, a really heinous um, uh, uh, crime, then yes, we want justice to intervene and for them to uh, go to jail or, or or whatever it is. So uh, justice is very important, and he, he thought that this was very deep in the human psychology, which I, I, I think it is, that we have this, this sense of fairness, we have this sense of what is right, we have this sense that if you do something that's wrong, uh, you should be punished, even if it's only by verbal criticism. Um, and let me just say, let me just say that even mammals, even little dogs have a concept of fairness. If two dogs play a game and uh, one dog act unfairly, the other dog or the other puppy won't participate. So even mammals has a concept of, wait a second, it's not fair what you have just done. So it's something that is deeply rooted within our human nature. Uh, yes, indeed. In, in animal nature, in, in general, absolutely, uh, that, uh, that that is the way that societies stick together. And that um, if we have a, a system of justice, and if we have a concept of justice, um, then we start to trust other people because we know that they're going to act in a certain ways. Uh, we know that they're not going to act in other ways, and we can deal with that. We you you, you can plan your life. On the basis, I, I plan my life now on the basis that when I walk down the street, um, gangs of people aren't going to come up to me and steal my wallet. Um, it, it, you know, I, I trust other people. It, it's a trusting, uh, you know, capitalist societies are very trusting societies because capitalism only works if people have an element of trust of other people. You need that trust in all transactions. So it's extremely important to have that, have that uh, trust. And, and therefore, that is really why you need a system of justice. You need concepts of justice. You need people to complain when things aren't right. OK, so let's move on to the wealth of nation. And I think the most quoted sentence from the wealth of nation is not from the benevolence of the baker, the boer, or the butcher. And it seems like, because what he just said, he said, listen, it's an uh, it's a self-love, self-interest. This is what Adam Smith says. And is it mutual selfishness or mutual respect? Because it seems like 
everyone just care for himself and nothing more. Now, did Adam Smith really think that Zebeka only interest in himself? He didn't want to perfect the bread for, you know, like feeding the poor? Because it's, it, it is a very hard sentence to grasp, and it is one of the most quoted Adam Smith sentences. Yes. Um, well, I, I, I think that he's, um, it's, it's a bit of a caricature, that's right. I mean, obviously, um, shopkeepers have other, other sentiments. And most people that I know in business don't just want to make money. In fact, many of them aren't terribly interested in making money. What they do want to, to do is to produce the best possible service and the best possible goods and to have really happy customers. That's what turns them on. Um, and I'm sure that that is true of anybody. Um, but uh, Adam Smith was trying to make the point um, that when uh, that, that, that people in business um, don't necessarily act in order to um, to benefit other people, they act principally in, in their own benefit. Now, th there's a very important distinction which you must make, which is between um, self-interest and selfishness. They're not the same thing. Adam Smith. Oh, talked great! Could you please elaborate? Because I think <laughs> it's it it is a critical point in Adam Smith's philosophy. Because when you discuss Adam Smith's idea, you also you always get this. So, what is the difference, in your opinion, between self self interest and selfishness? Yeah. Well, um, Adam Smith uh, talked about self interest, and all of the 18th century scholars talked about self interest. Um, and their, their view was that we are all uh, self-interested, and if we weren't, we'd be dead, right? If, if, you, if, you didn't, um, if you didn't have a mind to getting food when you need it and, and water when you needed it, um, you, you simply wouldn't survive. We do look after our own interests. And as far as the 18th century scholars were concerned, that is perfectly okay. That, that is perfectly sensible. There's a difference between that and greed or selfishness. Uh, where uh, you do things which are, yes, uh, for your own interest, but you have not a care for anybody else, and you don't have a care for the, uh, the results of, of your action. And what Adam Smith is calling for is, if you like, rational self-interest. Yes, we're all interested in each other, but if we actually collaborate in the market, let's say, then uh, we, we benefit each other. And that is the important thing about this sentence and, and Smith's idea of the invisible hand, that by pursuing our own interests, the only way to do that is actually to serve the interests of other people. The butcher and the brewer make money because they're serving the interests of their customers. And uh, as you say, probably they're thinking, I produce better beer. How can I produce better bread? Uh, and then I will have even more customers and, and please even more people. Um, so it's a, a, a mutually beneficial arrangement, albeit based on self-interest, but it isn't based on greed and it isn't based on, uh, on selfishness. I, I always say, you know, people talk about capitalism and they say, oh, well, it's all about making a quick buck. And I always say, well, you might be able to make one quick buck, but you won't make two because your customers will say, will go around and tell their friends, this person has swindled me, he's given me shoddy goods. And, you can't uh, fool all the people all the time, basically. <laughs> exactly, that's right. So, so basically, you know, you... the opposite of selfishness is altruism, but the, but, but the essence of self-interest is seeking out the interest of others. 
yes, yes. It's, it's yes it's it's different yes it's a it's a triangle if you like you've got altruism where people are you know uh, overtly trying to help other people uh, and you've got um, selfishness but then you've got self-interest and those two those things are, are three entirely different things okay so let's move on to I think like the harder questions and we all know we're all familiar with the concept of the invisible hand and the invisible hand basically says if and please correct me if I want that order uh, uh, doesn't have to be programmed into the system. Each one of us, each one of us seek for his own self-interest. And therefore, in a rainy day, we someone on the street will sell umbrellas and uh, on the beach, someone will sell like, a, I don't know, sunglasses, etc. So order cannot, uh, uh, like the all, no one is responsible to the bread supply of London. Yes, absolutely. There is not one thing, there is no one man or one organization that is responsible for supplying bread each and every day to London. And this magic just happens every day, each day and every day. And it's, 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 in, it's incredible magic because just thinking about how complex this procedure is, and no one is responsible. Nevertheless, it happens, and each day the citizens of London get new bread, yes? So th th this is basically the invisible hand. So with your permission, let me confront you with uh, something that Noam uh, Chomsky said about the invisible hand, and I would love to hear your opinion, okay? Uh, and I, I quote from Chomsky. The term invisible hand actually does appear in his classical wealth of nation once. It appeared in an argument against what's now called neoliberalism, that if there was a free movement of capital and free import of goods, Adam Smith was concerned about England. He said England will suffer because British capitalists will invest abroad and they will import from abroad and that will harm the English economy. And and many had similar concern. And Adam Smith then gave an argument, okay, which is not a very good argument according to Chomsky, but an argument that was the English investor will prefer to invest in England because of what something called a home bias. They will have a preference for investing clothes and therefore as by an invisible hand, England will be saved from the menace of free capital movement and free import. And then Chomsky says, that invisible hand, what, it's, what has nothing to do with the enthusiasm about free capital flow. So are we, did we misinterpret the concept invisible hand in Smith's writing? Well, Noam Chomsky is a puff of wind. He really is. And um, I think that Adam Smith, he's right, mentions uh, the invisible hand once in the Wealth of Nations. Uh, once in Theory of Moral Sentiments, and he mentioned it in a different context in, in another work as well. So uh, very few mentions. But if you read The Wealth of Nations, it's all about the invisible hand. It is all about the idea that people pursue their self-interest, not their selfishness, their self-interest, and that by doing that, that 
generates a spontaneous order of society where we all collaborate and cooperate. So that's really what it's about. And the whole work is about that. And to some extent, the, uh, the theory of moral sentiments is about that as well. That if we all behave in certain ways, and okay, we're doing it for ourselves in moral sentiments, we're, we're acting in a certain way, so we don't get the blame for doing so we don't don't get criticism from others others because uh, that criticism you know hurts us um, and in the uh, wealth of nations uh, we produce goods and services uh, because then other people are grateful uh, for them and they 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 give us money for them uh, and they also uh, praise us for, for producing them so that runs through the entire works of Adam Smith. It's not something that you can just pick out and say, oh, well, you know, the phrase didn't really mean that in the context. You're, it's absolutely right. It's, it's, it, it doesn't mean that. But the, the, the idea is steeped through Adam Smith. And it's this idea of a spontaneous order. You don't need somebody up there like Noam Chomsky giving orders because he's a brainy intellectual. He, we don't need somebody to give us orders. We just act in ways which are beneficial to ourselves and our families. And remarkably, other, other people do the same. And remarkably, it produces a social order. It's, you know, it's like, like a, a society of bees or, um, and Hayek uh, says it's like, it's like language, that nobody purposely created language. It just grew up because we all collaborate and we say things and then the, the language evolves and, de and develops. Uh, and uh, the same with the law uh, and the rules of justice. These things just come naturally. And that's what the invisible hand is actually all about. So, okay, many, many thanks. You, you just helped clarifying this point. And I think that this is an important clarification. Now let's move on to another uh, debatable concept, division of labor. And Adam Smith himself said that you can measure a nation prosperity on the amount or the degree of division of labor. And we has this famous pin factory example. So if you can, so we, meet, we need many people to produce a pin. I don't know how you say it right now. It, it, it's not just a pin, it's like a... Yeah, it's like a hat pin it? really is what Adam it's Smith like was talking head about. Like, uh, mm, now big pin. In, yeah. in the 50s, there was an article, I am pencil in the 1950s and Basically, this says exactly the same thing: that you need the entire you the entire humanity to produce one pencil because pencil is made out of tree that cut through machinery that was invented in there and manufactured there. You need the entire human kind, human species, to produce a single pencil, and this is the concept of division of labor. I do one thing much better than you. You do another thing much better than me. Let's switch. And this is like a very, a very profound concept in Smith writing. But he also mentions, and this is a, a, again, according to Chomsky. But please correct me if I want that the division of labor might make men's make men like machines. So it might be a monstrous thing, and government should. Uh, take part in order to prevent this, like uh, Charlie Chaplin famous modern times thing. So what, what he really thought about the, the division of labor, it was like a, an ideal to 
to him or he also considered the bad part and before the industrial re revolution yes i mean to some extent uh, i think marx probably uh, did the same with his theory of alienation um uh, well, well the the uh, theory of division of labor is as you say this is a pin factory and if you or i had to make a pin especially if we had to smelt the metal ourselves um we might be able to make one pin in about a week um and uh, i calculated that in adam smith's pin factory they were making 48,000 pins a week and there were what 18 people there um and so it's very much more productive because you um you get skilled at doing things you're not constantly interrupting one thing in order to do another um, and you can have the tools and the equipment uh, and the factories to, to do it. And that's very important. That is what capitalism is all about, that you lay down capital. In other words, you, you uh, buy, you create capital goods like machinery that allows you to uh, do the same operation very, very much more efficiently. I mean, I mean you can catch fish by hand. But it's very much more efficient to build a net, <laughs> put that in the sea, and you'll catch a lot, lot, lot more fish. Um, so uh, that, that's what capitalism is about. It's about laying down capital, capital so that you produce more things, better, cheaper, faster. Um, and uh, yes, when people are doing the same job every day, Smith did recognize, as Marx did, that um, they would get fed up with it and uh, that, yes, as you say, they, they become sort of robots. Um, and he didn't want that to happen. And that's why he was very keen on education and that the workers should be able to access education and all the rest of it. I, I think that today we've sort of gone beyond that um, mechanical industrial phase, if you like. And uh, uh, these days, workers. In the first world, sorry, we manufacture we manufacture almost everything in in the in the third world. So if you if you restrict <laughs> your view to Europe and the and the U.S., you are absolutely right. But many people still in the third world still manufacture things on a daily basis like modern times even yes, more if you yeah yes but 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 look at but look at a um at any developing country you know like vietnam for example um which was uh, you know ex exceedingly poor after the war in the 70s um and now uh, yes they're manufacturing but what it means is uh, that people can get a job which is a regular job it's, it's not a dangerous job like having to be in the mines or, or or being out in the fields all all day under the under the hot sun it's a better job um and it gives you time off and gives you income and you go to vietnam and um everybody's on their their motor scooters and uh, and uh, speaking to their mobile telephones it, it, it's a, a standard of living that was unavailable just 25 years ago um so so by the I, way, I think by the, uh, way, by the way it is very similar to milton friedman's idea that you, it's not fair to uh, to put in uh, to compare the us today with china today because china today is like the us 100 years ago and mm -hmm. the us had exactly the same process of sweatshops etc in order to get to what the us today so basically it's a procedure and many people compare like modern countries with developing countries and say, wow, this is not fair. They are not the same, but they forget that the modern countries 
gone through this entire phase, this entire process. So you're absolutely right. right. Yeah, that is, that is right. You, 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 are, you are correct. And Milton Friedman himself, you know, his, his mother worked in a, a New York uh, sweatshop, if you like, a garment factory. But he, as he says, you know, she knew that she wouldn't be there very long. She would uh, earn money and she'd be saving up and then she would get a better job and do something better. Um, and that is exactly how countries in general think. And it's just and it's how people think, you know, people will do a monotonous job for a while um, and then they'll uh, use their savings to to do something better. Um, uh, so, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's as big a problem as, well, it's certainly not as big a problem as Marx uh, painted it, and I don't really think that it's as big a problem as Smith point, uh, thought it was. But Smith's solution is the correct one, which is that you need a sufficient social infrastructure, so you've got education, adult education, and all of that kind of stuff in place, um, so that people can have a fulfilling life, even if their day-to-day um, -day, uh, job is pretty boring. Okay, great. So I moved, I, I finished with Chomsky, I moved to Thomas Soil, which is uh, much better. And <laughs> Thomas Soil in, in basic economics said, it, it's, it's just a, a, a very nice indication that Smith was not a one-sided man. Thomas Sowell wrote in basic economics that he used to offer an A plus grade for any student that can find in the wealth of nation a positive treatment to merchants. So <laughs> Smith, this is, I, this is a quote from basic economics, okay? So basically what Thomas Sowell said, Smith didn't like the merchants. Nevertheless, he knew that this is the best or the only way. So it, it's like, a, he is a complex man. And like you said at the beginning of our conversation, it is much easier to grasp Marx or socialism and not Smith, because what does he really think? Does he favor economists or uh, does he favor market? Does he favor businessmen? Does he favor business? Does he favor the government? He is a very complex man. He doesn't like merchants. How so? Well, I think that Smith was dismayed by the institutions of his time. I mean, for example, after he wrote the uh, Theory of Moral Sentiments, um, his uh, wages were paid by the Duke of Buccleuch, a big landowner. Um, 300 pounds a year. That's right, which was a huge amount of money. But nevertheless, he still, um, in the Wealth of Nations, he still beats up landowners <laughs> and saying <laughs> they, they like to reap where they never sowed and things like that. So he, he doesn't pull any punches on that front. Um, and on the merchant class, well, once again, but you see, you have to remember that in Smith's time, uh, the merchant classes were basically, it was a sort of trade union. And uh, there were what, what we called guilds who would lay down rules about what you could and could not um, trade in, for example. And, and, and work, workers, artisans couldn't move from one town to another. They wouldn't be allowed in by the local tradespeople. Um, and uh, there were all sorts of rules and regulations basically to create work and create jobs. And uh, you, you had apprenticeship systems which were very hard to get into. So there was not enough supply of uh, silversmiths, for example. 
Um, so uh, Smith was talking about a world in which you've got all of these regulations that are imposed by the very class which they benefit. And the, the merchants um, devise these rules and these apprenticeship schemes and, and, and the bans on certain products and processes precisely in order to keep the price up uh, and to keep themselves um, rich. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's like uh, professional licensing today where, um, you know, medical exactly and, and, and other people. Exactly what Milton Friedman speaks against. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, taxi drivers and so on, they, you know, they all try to, to keep out any competition. So that's what he was really against. Um, and he was also against, you know, people, another, another sentence from the, the, the nation, uh, the Wealth of Nations, that everybody knows is that people of the same trade never meet together, even for merriment and diversion, but the talk turns to a conspiracy against the public. But then he goes on to say, well, what makes these conspiracies happen? And the answer is all sorts of regulation that mean that people of a trade have to come together and they know each other and uh, so on, uh, which actually makes it easier for them then to lay down all sorts of restrictions and keep out the competition. Many people forget that without free, really free market, without uh, the monopoly and without all these conspiracies, capitalism doesn't work. You need a strong government to create the infrastructure that allows capitalism to grow. And it is immensely important. Otherwise you can't have, if you don't have free market, if you have like two vendors of bread and they're all speak together and and you know and define the prices it doesn't go it, it you you are not enjoying the fruits of free market or free trade you must have a big a strong government to enforce this infrastructure and this is extremely important now you said you also wrote books about Friedman and Mises and Hayek now I'm not familiar with Mises but I do I do read I did read Milton Friedman and Frederick Hayek, and it seems like all of the greatest Adam Smith ideas, they are basically the, like the next loop in the chain. They're just like the, 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 the they're just continues, they're just continue his legacy basically so he's like the the father of what they tried to do afterwards would you would you agree because you wrote about each one of them yes uh, milton friedman uh, takes a lot from adam smith specifically um the idea of markets and how markets work and that it's best to leave markets to their own devices because that is the way that uh, goods will get uh, allocated most uh, rationally because uh, when things are in short supply the price goes up and then people have an incentive to come in and produce more uh, and the the reverse when the, when the, uh, things things are in abundance so um, that's what Friedman in particular takes uh, from Adam Smith although he does uh, also do uh, stuff on professional licensing which again, Smith and, and Smith's attack on the guilds and, and merchant classes, um, you know, is is a forerunner. Hayek uh, takes something which is much more subtle, and that and that is the this idea of the spontaneous order, the invisible hand, the the society that can look after itself, 
simply because we all do our own thing and then somehow we end up collaborating. And that spontaneous order in Hayek uh, uh, traces that through various thinkers from John Locke, um, through Adam Smith and uh, various other more modern uh, thinkers and, uh, and, and starts to develop that himself and saying, well, you know, how do the, how do the rules of behavior actually work? Uh, this, this works because we, we all act in certain predictable ways well, uh, where do those rules come from? How are they formed? Um, you know, how, how do we know when they're working well? Last question, with your permission. Uh, Adam, Adam Smith had a lot of groundbreaking ideas. The idea that wealth is not measured in gold, but in GDP is, is so profound and so counterintuitive to what was the main orthodoxy in the time in that time that it's just unimaginable he was he was an enlightened man but uh, these ideas now seems trivial to us in your opinion what is his most important idea to grasp in our times the idea that capitalism since it involves free will and free a uh, self-interest is the best the best moral system ever what is the best what is the most important idea to grasp from adam smith's work well i think i would go back to an earlier question where we were talking about the welfare of the poor and i think the the most important idea in adam smith is that you can benefit society as a whole that you can benefit the poorest uh, people uh, in particular, if you simply get out of their hair and let them uh, follow their own course and collaborate and cooperate with other people. Uh, and that spontaneous society is the, the best way of, uh, uh, of helping, you know, not the rich, but the poor. They're the ones that will benefit most. And if you can get authority out of the way, uh, then it's the, 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 the poor will, will astonish you uh, by what, what they achieve. Uh, and, and so you don't need to have all of these um, top-down rules and regulations and laws and taxes. Um, you, you don't need to have all of that government infrastructure. You, you get out of the way and what Smith called the, the simple system of natural liberty will take you an incredible long way and it will uh, you know if you if you want to help poorer people that is the best way of, of doing it and we see that in the modern world where after 1990 lots of uh, countries china india uh, and many other south asian countries came into the world trading system and now they are just so much richer than they were um, you know when i was born four-fifths of the the world population were in dollar a day poverty now there's hardly any, uh, and all of that is, is in sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, it is trade uh, that, that has made the difference. It is being able to share ideas and goods and services with other people all around the planet. That is, is, that's the importance of Adam Smith. There is one important prerequisite, and this is education. And Adam Smith also discussed a lot about the importance of education. Now, in your opinion, does government also, it's not equality of outcome, but equality of opportunity. If in some place, and in Israel we know that we have Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, but we have all the 
all the, the distance villages, they don't get the same level of education that the children of Tel Aviv get. Does, in Adam Smith's view, and in your view, the government should strive to enhance or act toward equality of opportunity to increase this, or also we need to, to, we, we need to let the invisible end also to work this out? Well, he definitely believed in equality of opportunity because that's why he wanted to get rid of all of the regulations that particularly impacted the poorest people. He was a bit confused, I have to say, uh, on his ideas on education. And, and, and part of it is the importance of incentives on teachers and, and they should be paid by the students. And another part of it is, well, you know, perhaps the state should pay for the buildings and so on. So he's a, he's a little bit confused about that. What I would say is that um, it is remarkable how strong the parental instinct is to educate your kids. Um, it is just, it's, it's natural and kids and people will go without in order that their children have an education. And if you go to places like India, there's no point going to a, a government run school because the teachers probably won't have turned up or they'll be asleep. Uh, <laughs> what people do, of course, up in the wilds, um, is uh, they get together and they, they, they chip in a very small amount of money and they hire a local teacher. Um, and, and that's exactly what happened in, in Adam Smith's day, very commonly. Um, and you get a much better education uh, that way because the teachers are very focused on the parents and what the parents want for their children. And the parents want the best for their children. Whereas in government-run systems, well, the teachers are, are really focused upwards, if you like, on the local authorities and the government uh, for, for their sustenance. Um, so I, 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 I'm sanguine on education because I think that uh, the, the drive, if you just allow parents to do their own thing, um, I, I think you would have a fantastic education system. And I think actually the, the government probably messes it up. <laughs> okay. Mr. Eamon Butler, thank you so much for this fascinating conversation. And if we, during this conversation, like made someone eager to, to read Adam Smith's works or just see a doc documentary about him, please go and see. He's a remarkable man. And like you said in one of the documentaries, in every giant library in the world, you see Darwin, Origin of Species, Newton, and we will also see next to the Bible, The Wealth of Nation, a book that actually transformed and changed the world. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. This was Adam Smith. Uh, I, uh, let, let me say it again. This was Adam Smith. If you want to know more, please read in the description. We have two great documentaries about Adam Smith's ideas that changed the world and the moral sentiment. The idea that Adam Smith is not what he, what many people think he is, I think this is a very important notion to remember. And I think, again, like Mr. Eamon Butler said, the most important part of Smith's work is to help the poor and capitalism or the wealth of nation describe a prescription, yes, like give us a recipe of how to make, a, how to make the poor and self-interest is not 
selfishness. Thank you so much. If, please, if this is your first time in the channel, please consider subscribing. We have a lot of English interviews and conversation with many researchers and scholars from all around the world. I was Roy Yozevich. Thank you. And we will see you in the next conversation. אם הגעתם עד לכאן, מגיע לכם כל הכבוד. אז תנו לי להגיד לכם שלושה דברים קצרים. הדבר הראשון, אם שמעתם משהו בשיחה שמעניין אתכם, שאתם רוצים לקחת הלאה, פשוט ספרו אותו לאנשים אחרים. משהו מעניין שאני אמרתי, משהו מעניין שהאורח שלי אמר, איזשהו רעיון שאתם רוצים לקחת אתכם לחיים, פשוט ספרו אותו לחבר או לחברה. זאת הדרך הטובה ביותר לזכור את הרעיונות מתוך השיחות האלה. הדבר השני, אם אתם רוצים לקחת חלק בקהילה שלנו ולפגוש ולדבר עם אנשים כמוכם, אתם מוזמנים לערוץ הטלגרם שלנו, שווה לכם מאוד. פשוט תראו עוד אנשים שמתעניינים מדברים מגניבים בדיוק כמוכם. והדבר האחרון, אם אתם יכולים, דרגו את הערוץ שלנו באפליקציית הפודקאסטים שלכם, זה יכול להיות בספוטיפיי, באפל פודקאסט או בגוגל פודקאסט, זה תהליך קצר של שתי שניות, הוא מאוד מאוד יעזור לנו להפיץ את הבשורה הלאה. שיהיה לכם כיף גדול וכיף בשיחה הבאה. Thank you.